Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with FEDS or vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Staying Connected. This is your host, Katie, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you that the views, information, and opinions in these podcasts are those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of the Marfan Foundation. The Marfan Foundation is not responsible for and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in them, nor does the information constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This show is not produced by or affiliated with the Marfan Foundation or the VEDS movement. In our last episode, we heard from Dominic Corso, who was diagnosed with FEDS when he was 44 after a sudden medical emergency that revealed he was living with three aneurysms. In today's episode, we're going to hear from Charlene Terrell Newman, whose son Luke was diagnosed with FEDS when he was four years old. Heartbreakingly, Luke passed away in October 2021 at the age of 15. Charlene tells us about Luke and his story with VEDS in this interview, and also talks about the emergency and mismanagement in the hospital that resulted in his death. An autopsy revealed he had experienced an aortic dissection and rupture. Before we go over to the interview, if you want to support this show, consider joining my Patreon. For a few dollars a month, you can make sure this show continues to reach people around the world with real-life stories about VEDS. You can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash translucent1, and you can also support the show by sharing this podcast with people you know to help us raise awareness of vets together. Thank you so much for your support. Let's go to the interview with Charlene. Hi, Charlene. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your story and most importantly, Luke's story. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity um, to talk about Luke and just to share his story and have his legacy live on. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So tell me, introduce yourself for everybody and then tell us a little bit about Luke and how he was diagnosed. Uh, my name is Charlene Terrell Newman and I have uh, five boys and Luke was my second child. Um when his older brother was three, he was born. So we noticed that. Luke was different uh, right away. When he was a baby, we changed his diaper and there would be bruises where our hands were just on his legs. Um, he'd fall down, the same sort of injuries that his older brother would have, but he would be like 10 stitches and just very easily cut, very easily bruising, these huge bruises. So uh, the first thing that we did was talk to his pediatrician and they had us go see a hematologist for the bruising issues. And he was diagnosed at two with von Willebrand's disease. Um, and then they just kind of left it there for a while, but the cuts were getting worse. The bruising was getting worse. So they finally referred us to a rheumatologist and the rheumatologist couldn't find anything on his parameter with Luke. Um, so he referred us to a geneticist and Luke was four at the time. And we were just really lucky because the genetic counselor had happened to know people that had, um, the, the VEDS and she thought that Luke looked a lot like them with his facial features. So they thought, well, maybe this is what is causing all of these things. So, um, they ran the test and sure enough, it came back positive for the VEDS. So that was when he was four years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did that how did that change like your parenting 
did it change at all? I mean, like, was he the only one in the family? Like, tell me Def- more about Yeah, Morgan. definitely. Um, so when we first thought he had the Von Willebrands, it was concerning, but it wasn't that concerning. I think it's it's pretty common. It's like one in a hundred people or something have it and they have totally normal lives. So we weren't really worried about it. And then even after that, they, they were starting to like realize it was something different. One of the hematologists had told us, well, don't worry, whatever Luke has, it's not life-threatening. Like it's just some weird thing, but it's not going to be life-threatening. So up until that point, until we got that diagnosis, there was definitely some concern, but we weren't as scared as we were after we got the diagnosis, obviously. Um, and a lot of things changed where he started school the next year. And so we had to be, you know, careful about what he was doing there. They had to know about his condition, no contact sports. Um, definitely things changed a lot. We're definitely a lot more worried about it. And then a lot more specialists. As soon as he got diagnosed, he started seeing a cardiologist and getting um, echoes every year geneticist. He started seeing an ophthalmologist because there's some eye stuff that is concerning as well. And so, yeah, it definitely changed a lot. Um, And he is the only person in our family that, as far as we know, has or had um, the vascular Ehlers-Danlos. And so it was new to us. Like it was something that I had never heard of. And I definitely learned more than I wanted to know about it in those first couple months after it was diagnosed because I wanted to like understand what it was, but at the same time, it just scared me so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a scary diagnosis and especially like, you know, having a four-year-old child with it, you know, how, how did you cope with that as a parent? Like, how did you handle that information? I mean, it was, it was scary definitely, but there was also some research and some studies going on. So there was a little bit of hope as well. Um, the first the first one that actually caught my eye was the stuff that Dr. Dietz is doing. And so we actually wanted to see if Luke could see him. And when we brought it up with geneticists, the geneticist was like, no, actually Dr. Byers is the best one to see for Luke's condition. And he's only a couple hours away in Seattle. And so, you know, we went and started seeing him. Um, but it was definitely like, it was definitely weird to have to go from having like a perfectly healthy child as far as I knew to now you got to worry about this. You have to worry about that. You have to see this doctor. You have to make sure he doesn't do this. You have to, you know, and then he's a boy and I have all boys. So, you know, his older brother and his younger brother, they're all, you know, they'd wrestle and they'd play around and they do boy stuff. And it was like, Luke, we get in there. It's like, no, 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 no. You know? So I mean, I wanted him to feel normal and to feel like he was part of it, but I also had to be careful to make sure that he wasn't going too far and would get hurt because we've had some pretty scary um, injuries with like falling and getting cut. One time he fell off a bed and it was a small tumble, but he had hit like a toy just perfect and he split his chin open um, and he had to have like 40 stitches. There was like internal stitches and external. Yeah. And it was just, it was the same injury that his older brother probably had like a hundred times and was fine, had a little bruise from it. And with Luke, it was just like, his whole face was just split open. How old was he when that happened? I think he was five. How did he handle that as a five? It has to be so terrifying. So something that we noticed right away with Luke was that he just had this high tolerance for pain. It was crazy. Um, He'd be like, he'd be split open or he'd have these huge bruises and he wouldn't even he'd take it all in stride. Like he would be a little bit worried and of a little bit in pain, but nothing compared to what you expect. So when he um, cut open his face that time when he was five, he came and he had like a, 
he had like a wash rag like on his face and he's like mom mom I'm hurt really bad and he was kind of whining a little bit but it, it didn't seem like it would be that bad and he took it off and like it felt like half of his face was like hanging off because it was broken so bad and I was like wow um you know and he just like he had a ton of stitches and he was so used to the whole procedure that it didn't really affect him that much um a story I remember that I actually told at his memorial um when he was two and he was getting all the tests done for the Von Willebrands and that line of thinking, he had to have like 15 vials of blood drawn at the hospital where they did the testing at. And um, he was sitting there taking it like a champ. And all of a sudden, one of the technicians, they had to have like a team of special technicians come in and hold him down and try to get the blood and stuff. And one of them was like, is this kid humming the theme song to Star Wars? And sure enough, like Luke was sitting there just humming it. And like his, his jaw was all clenched, but he wasn't showing any pain. It was just all like strength. And he was two years old. It was crazy. And that's just always how he was with that kind of thing. Like he'd get hurt and it was just like, been there, done that. <laughs> wow. He sounds, he just sounds like such an incredible kid. Um, so at what age did you tell him about VEDS? Did, did he know? Uh, he did know. We did it gradually. So when he first got diagnosed at four, it was kind of um, a very simple explanation of, you know, you need to take things a little more carefully than other kids your age. You can't do recess. You can't do PE. Um, you know, you can't do contact sports. So your life is a little bit different because you're more fragile. And as he got older and he started asking questions about it, I was honest with him. Um, he didn't really start asking me about the severity of it until he was probably like around 12. And then he was like, hey, you know, is this something that I could die from? Is this something that I could, you know, get severely hurt from. And, you know, we talked about it and he was really good at doing his own research. So I knew that even if I didn't tell him, he would figure it out anyway. And he, I mean, he did do research on his own and he did understand it fully. Um, but it was, it was, it wasn't something that like he lived with in fear for a long time. It wasn't like he was four and it's like, this is going to kill me. It was more of like, okay, I have to be more careful. And then, you know, it could also cause this and oh yeah. And this, you know, too. So yeah. Yeah. And did he get to meet other kids with buds at any point? Um, Kind of. So we actually lived in Seattle for a year. And one of the, what, that summer that we lived there, Dr. Byers had hosted the West Coast family reunion. Um, so we did take Luke. We could only stay for a couple hours. Um, we had the other two we had, or three kids at home. And so we couldn't stay for very long, but um, we, he kind of got to meet kids a little bit and talk to them, but it, definitely like never he never really saw what other kids were going through as much I don't yeah okay and so he was it sounds like he had like stitches a lot and mm -hmm. things at the ER did you before we get into the the really heavy mm -hmm. uh, thing that happened to him um you know did did you have other experiences in the ER prior to this one the yeah. So, um, most of the time we'd go to the ER because he would cut himself or he would fall and we'd have to get stitches and it was, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, there were a couple times that I can think of that he had like a stomach pain. Um, one time we all kind of had the stomach flu and it just took him a lot longer to recover than everybody. So it was like three weeks later and everybody was fine and he's still having a lot of pain. And so we took him in for that because we were, you know, concerned like, oh no, maybe, maybe, um, 
something happened, you know, when he was recovering and he's not all the way recovered or something. And, you know, they took us pretty seriously. They did a CT scan. They, you know, really checked to make sure everything was okay. And it was, thankfully, he just, you know, I think things just took a while, a little bit longer for him because of the VEDS. Um, And then like, I think one time he, we thought he broke his arm. He fell backwards and, you know, so we took him in for that. And again, like they were pretty, pretty good with it. Pretty good making sure that he wasn't hurt anywhere else. Uh, When he was in eighth grade, so when he was 13, I think, um, he got attacked at school by another student. It was kind of, started off as kind of like a, them just kind of getting mad at each other, getting into like a, like an argument. And then the other kid actually physically attacked him. And we took him to the ER for that. And they were, they were really good. They got him right back for a CT. Um, you know, they, they really monitored him, really made sure there was nothing else going on there and then stitched him up. And mm-hmm. so I think for the most part, we had some pretty good experiences going okay. to the ER before. Yeah. So tell me what happened to Luke in October. Okay. So, um, prior to what happened in October, Luke had, it was really weird. Um, so he has always been really small. He's always been really short, um, just very compact, strong kid, just not very big, which we expected because I know one of the, um, things associated with the VEDS is short stature. So we expected he'd always be kind of smaller. Um, but a few months before that he had just kind of like shot up like he uh grew a few inches and he went from being like this like kind of little kid to like almost as tall as I am like we could see eye to eye and he was getting into boxing um he had a a really big interest in it and he would work out on his own at home like he was careful but he you know we had a punching bag and stuff and he was taking vitamin c um and he just he just looked really good like that's I remember the most in the last couple of months before is he just looked really good. Like it would be, you just thought that, oh my God, maybe something, maybe a miracle is happening. Maybe, you know, it's getting better or whatever. Um, that's kind of where my thought process was. But so that, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm saying this because it was, it made what happened such a huge shock, such a huge surprise. So, um, it was Friday morning and he was at home, um, doing schoolwork. He decided to do, uh, online school this year and he loved it and he was in his room doing work and I was in uh, we had like an office across the hall from his room and I was working on some stuff I was taking a, a class a college class online too and he came in and he was like mom you know my back hurts really bad um I don't know what's wrong it just hurts really bad and my first thought was well you know you've been working out and stuff like it probably just strain something. So I said, why don't you take a bath and see if it gets better? And then we'll know if it's muscular, if it's, you know, something we need to be concerned about. So he went and took a bath for about five minutes and he came out and he's like, you know, it's not getting better. It's still pretty bad. He's like, I kind of have this stomach ache too. Um, So I said, okay, that's enough for me to let's let's just go get it checked out. You know, it's probably nothing, but we need to go get it checked out because it's you. And so um, I remember my husband was getting the tire change on his car. And so before we would drove to the hospital, Luke and I dropped him off at the car place to go pick up his car. And because I mean, at that point, like we just weren't that concerned. We knew that it was needed to get checked out, but it didn't seem like it wasn't getting any worse then. And so we're just like, OK, we'll just do this small air and then we'll I'll take him to the ER. And um, so we dropped him off. And then I was driving to the hospital and all of a sudden, like his pain just started getting like a lot worse. 
And so we're in the car. And of course there's traffic because, you know, why not? And he's kind of like yelling and getting mad and stuff. And I'm like, you know, it's okay. We're going to get there soon. And he was getting a little bit frantic. Um, but at that point it still was like, I was a little worrisome, but it, it wasn't, he wasn't passed out. He was still able to talk to me. So I, I thought, okay, you know, whatever is happening, like it can't be that bad yet. Um, and he, and he asked me on the way, he goes, you know, mom, what if this is it? What if this is the one that takes me out? And I was like, no, don't say that. You know, it's going to be fine. We're going to get there. It's going to be fine. So we get to the hospital and it was like a 20 minute drive. It's not very far from our house. There was a little bit of traffic, say 20, 25 minutes. And we get there and we go to check into the ER. And this is an ER that we've never been to before. We decided to go there this time because all of his specialists are at this ER or at this hospital that the ER is located in. And so I knew if it was something life-threatening, they could call his specialist and they would come and know how to deal with his condition. And so we get there and we go to check in at the lobby and they're like, okay, well, this is the adult part. Like, um, we're going to send him to the kid part. And it was just right next. I mean, it was just right there, but it was like a different room. And I, I remember telling them like, you know, he has this condition, like, yeah, yeah, we know we're aware of it. I'm like, okay. So we go to this room and they just leave us there for like a while. And he's getting more frustrated. He's in more pain. I mean, he's kind of like um, yelling and talking and getting really agitated and, and not able to like sit in one spot. And I'm getting frustrated. And it's like, where, you know, what's going on here? Why aren't they taking this more seriously? Um, they did like get us checked in at the children's ER, but um, they were like, well, it's going to be a little while. Like we, we don't have any rooms right now. And I'm like, so like, you know, obviously like this could be something really bad. And I know they just kind of like blew it off. Like, you know, he's fine. Um, and he's getting more upset. And then like a nurse comes out and she was like, well, you know, the doctor wants to try ibuprofen or Tylenol first to see um, if that'll make him feel better. And I'm just like, okay, well, when are we going to get down to like the important stuff, you know? And she's like, well, I'll go talk to the doctor and tell him that the pain's getting worse. Um, so she leaves and it, and we're still like alone for a while. And I remember Luke had told me like, mom, like go, go find someone, but there was no one around. Like it, it's really weird how it was set up. Um, there was no like admin desk or anything for that children's part. You're just in this room and then it goes to the hospital. So my option was to go back out to the adult hospital, which they already kind of like turfed us to this other one, whatever, or start banging on doors to the hospital. And I knew that if I had done something like that, they would have not taken it seriously. And so Luke goes, mom, if, if there was any time in the world to be a Karen, this is that time. He's like, the pain's getting worse, you know? And so I'm getting like really upset. He's really upset. The nurse comes back out again and she says the same thing. Okay. The doctor's ready to give him ibuprofen. And I was like, you know, if he is like, if he has a tear or something, like, is that really the best thing to give him because it's a blood thinner? And she was kind of condescending to me and she goes, well, the doctor thinks it's fine, but if you're really worried about it, we can give him Tylenol. And so she gives them Tylenol. They bring them back to a room. Finally, like this is like two hours after we get there, they finally like bring them back to a room and, um, they send in a, and I've, I've I told the nurse, I told when I first checked him into the adult ER, I'm like, these are his specialists. He has a cardiologist here. He has a vascular surgeon here. Can we like, you know, get them paged or whatever so they could come assess the situation. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll do it. But never, it was never done. And then we're in this room and they send in an intern and she comes in and she's like, well, the doctor just wants me to get more information. And so she's asking all these questions about, you know, his condition and stuff. And I repeat again, like, these are his specialists. Can you please get them? 
And she's like, yeah, we're working on it. And it's like, okay, whatever. Um, so she leaves and then the doctor, the doctor finally comes in. It's been like two hours. The doctor finally comes in and he's like, and they had given Luke the Tylenol before we saw him. And Luke was feeling a little bit better. He really was, but he was still in a lot of pain. I mean, he was still like, you know, complaining, yelling, like upset. And the doctor's like, well, you know, I just want to give it some time to see if it gets better. And I was like, well, what about a CT scan? And he goes, you know, we just had one a couple months ago. And I really don't want to expose him, you know, to any more radiation or whatever it is, um, unless we absolutely have to. And I was like, yeah, but what if he's ha- what if he has a tear or a rupture or something? And he goes, well, it's not, you know, people that have those, they can't talk. They can't, you know, walk around. Like he would be in a lot more pain if that's what it was. And, and I mean, he was in a lot of pain, but again, he has that really high to- pain tolerance. And, you know, so I, I'm concerned, you know, the doctor doesn't seem too concerned. Luke's getting a little bit better. So it's like, okay, you know, maybe. And then all of a sudden the pain just gets really bad. And so the doctor's in there with us and Luke goes, um, he starts just like almost crying. And he's like, I love you, mom. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then all of a sudden he starts like throwing up. And, um, I go, okay, got, I go I'm like, okay, buddy, you know, like you're, you're, you're sitting up and you're going to choke on, or you're laying down like next time sit up. And he just like, his eyes had just like rolled in the back of his head and he, his lips get really white and he's just still puking. And then the doctor finally is like, oh my God, like something's happening now. And they take him out to go like work on him, um, out of the room. And I just remember yelling at the doctor. I'm just like, see, see, why didn't you take me seriously? You know? And they take him back to this area and they let me come and, and see him and stuff. And they're working on him. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of doctors and nurses and they're ordering medications and they're checking all this stuff. And they, they asked me to like, okay, um, do you want to, do you want to come in this room and like, and wait with us? And then we'll, we'll figure out what's going on. And I was like, okay. So a nurse takes me back to this room and they send in like a patient advocate person or something. I don't know. Um, and we're sitting there talking and then, the nurse comes back and she goes, do you, do you want to go sit with him? And I said, well, can I, you know, is that okay? And she's like, yeah, it's okay. I just want to let you know that, um, he, they lost his heartbeat like 10 minutes ago. And she's like, there's a protocol. They're trying to bring it back, but I just wanted to let you know that. And so that might change your decision to go see him. And I was like, well, then yes, yes, I need to go sit with him. Um, so they took me back to that area where they were working on him and, I remember listening to them talking and one of the doctors was filling in a different doctor. And he's like, so this, you know, this kid has Ehlers-Danlos. And it was like, once again, I was like, I remember screaming, he has vascular Ehlers-Danlos. They they just, no matter how many times you say it, no matter how many times they just don't, they just don't listen. Um, And it just, it just progressively got worse. They were doing checks on him every minute to find a pulse. There was no pulse. Um, they were doing CPR on him with a machine as they were working. And it was just like, you know, I just, I just knew, I just knew that like things were not going to be okay. And um, luckily I got to sit there with him and I got to hold his hand and talk to him. And eventually they just, they said, would anybody object if I called it? And they didn't object and they called his death. And it was like two minutes after they called it, my husband got there because everything happened so fast that I wasn't able to tell him like how serious it was. And, you know, finally like everything happened it just all went downhill and then he got there and it was just just a nightmare I am so sorry that happened Charlene thank you how old was Luke when that happened Uh, 15 and did that 
Did that doctor apologize or no. anything? No. Um, he did say that, I mean, they told me like, you know, it, it wouldn't have mattered probably if we had a, a CT scan. It would have happened anyway. It might have happened on an operating table, but it probably still would have happened. But yeah, no, no apology or anything. Was it his aorta? Yeah. So he, um, after we agreed to do an autopsy, um, because we wanted to know, but we also wanted to see if it could help um, the vascular Ehlers-Danlos community, you know, with research. Um, and he had a, a, an aortic tear and that's what the pain was. And then um, it ruptured. So that was the, that was the moment that the pain got really bad and he started throwing up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just need to take a breath for a second. I know. Yeah. I'm really, truly sorry that happened. Thank you. So you've talked to me before about Luke and his personality. And, you know, I think you've told me before part of your desire to do this podcast interview and share his story is his own perspective. Yes. Do you want to yes. share a little bit about that? Definitely. Um, so Luke was this very unique individual who just wanted to make everyone happy. Um, he would give you literally the shit off his back if he thought it would make you happy and he would, he would be cold um, because he just, he wanted to make people feel good. And he had said from a long time ago that he wanted to do what he could to help um, make sure that other kids didn't have to go through what he had to go through and he was willing to do any study, any test. Right before um, all of this happened, he was supposed to start taking a blood pressure medication. Um, and it was kind of, I know it's something that they, they have proven um, a little bit helps, but it was also something that they're still like studying. And so he was kind of back and forth about, well, you, you know, I don't think it's really going to help me. But then his final decision was, I'm going to take it because I, if it can help anyone else, then that's worth it to me. And so um, I know that he would want to make sure that other people wouldn't have to go through what he went through or what we went through. And he would want, he would want something good to help cover what happened. Yeah. So I think um, sharing, sharing that story is really, you know, it's hard to hear, of course, as, and I'm sure people listening are, you know, have a hard time hearing it as well, because it is so, it's, it's tragic, but it's frustrating. It's so this, frustrating. Yeah. This like fight to get through the emergency room and, you know, sometimes no matter what you do, they don't listen. And, you know, sadly, this is one of those cases, it seems like, um, where you did everything you could, you know? Right. And that's part of the most frustrating things about it. And that confusion with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome too. Definitely. And we don't live in a, um, in a little town. We live in a big city and we have really good hospitals and really good specialists here. And um, we decided to take him to the hospital where his specialists were, where we thought they would be equipped to handle this, uh, if something like this happened. And it, they dropped the ball. And because of that, like, you know, maybe the outcome, outcome would have been the same, you know, but the trauma that I have to live with for the rest of my life, the trauma that I had to see him go through, um, you know, all of his friends and family, like that's something that will never go away. 
And it's really frustrating that we had to go through that. that all of us had to go through that. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you share some of your favorite things about Luke as a mother? Okay. Um, Luke is just this amazing kid. Uh, from the very beginning, he just was so interested in everything, so curious, so smart, so vocal. He had um, a great vocabulary. He spoke really well. The first thing that he was interested in was dinosaurs. He just um, became obsessed with learning about them, uh, fossils, that sort of thing. And then as he got older, that morphed into the Jurassic Park movies and the books. Uh, he read the Jurassic Park book when he was in sixth grade, The Lost World in seventh grade, and uh, saw all the movies. And his favorite character was Dr. Ian Malcolm. So then he started becoming obsessed with Jeff Goldblum and went down that path of uh, interest and would follow like his music stuff and different movies and roles that he played. And so that was pretty cool. It was very random. Um, he was really into history, uh, especially World War One and World War Two, and especially the weaponry. Like he loved tanks, um, the the aircraft, the guns, all that stuff. And just, just like the history part about it, just, you know, how things were made, how they worked. Uh, Weather was one of the things he got interested. He's in a lot of science stuff. So like weather was a big thing for him. He was into sharks for a while. Um, we'd go, we live about an hour and a half from the beach and we'd go to the beach and he just loved tide pooling. Uh, he could catch any animal. Um, he caught lizards, snakes, frogs, <laughs> big with that. Uh, everywhere we went, he'd find, you know, something, uh, to, to something passionate about, um, what else? He was, he got interested in boxing in the last few months and it wasn't just like the sport of it, but it was the history of it. So he would uh, name off statistics and famous boxers and famous fights and, and, and follow that kind of stuff. That was really cool. Um, a couple weeks before uh, everything happened, we went to uh, this place in Oregon called the John Day Fossil Beds, which is a like four or five hours from our house, I guess. And it was really cute because it was a trip he was supposed to take with his grandma and she broke her foot so she couldn't drive. She has an RV and they were going to go in the RV. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I can take you. I guess we'll, you know, we'll just drive out there and rent Airbnb. And he wanted my brother to come because my brother's really into that kind of science and stuff too. And at the last minute, he invited his little brother, his uh, seven-year-old brother. And he goes, you know, Noah really likes this kind of stuff too. Do you want to come with us, Noah? And we thought it was really sweet at the time because it's like he could have had this, like this time of just like mom and his uncle to himself. But instead he like wanted to be nice and wanted to include his brother because he knew he would enjoy it too. So we ended up taking his little brother with us and we just had the best time. Um, Luke really wanted to find a scorpion and he did. He found a few scorpions, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was scary to me and Noah, but his enthusiasm was so great that we found ourselves turning over rocks and looking for them too. Like we didn't want to catch them, but we wanted to be like, Hey, Luke, look, we found one too, you know? And we went and looked for thunder eggs and he went and looked for lizards. We found some cool lizards and stuff. We were looking for rattlesnakes, didn't find any, thankfully, but that probably would have been like the highlight of his trip if we would have found one. Um, yeah, it was just, we just had a really great time and I'm so glad we had that because that was like everything he liked to do and it just showed his spirit and his interest and his passion. And it, it was, it was great memories. It sounds like he just has like the biggest heart 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Just such an animal lover, such a, you know, it just feels for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you like one more, one more question, I think. Okay. And um, it's a difficult question to ask because, you know, you've lost your child. Um, and maybe, maybe the question is not advice to another parent, but advice to somebody else who's lost a child or, you know, anything, anything that you want the listeners to know, honestly, whether it's a medical professional or another parent who's lost a child or another parent who has a young child with this condition that might be listening to this and, and is terrified. Um, do you have anything you'd want somebody listening to know? I mean, as any parent that has a child with a condition similar or the same as Luke's, um, as any parent knows, you got to be, uh, you got to fight for your child. And I think that that's definitely like something that I take with me with my other kids is being a mama bear and, you know, just not even caring anymore. Just now, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid to yell at doctors. Don't be afraid to, you know, to, to tell people how you really feel to argue with the school because no one else is looking out for them. And I think this is, this whole experience just proves that like, it, when it comes down to it, it's just you, it's just you that has their back. And so sometimes you have to be, you have to be more than you think you are. And I think, you know, I don't know if, if I could have argued and I could have gotten more done for him, but I know looking back at the whole journey, there's been so many times where I've had to like come out of my comfort zone and, and argue and rally and do all those things. And that's okay. You know, and don't feel bad because that's what you were put on this earth for, obviously. Yeah. And as a, as a parent, like you are the biggest advocate for your child. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Charlene, for coming on and sharing, you know, what, uh, like about Luke and what happened to him and really helping to spread that awareness. I, I truly hope that somebody out there in that, in the medical field is listening to this podcast and really takes this to heart because this fight to get through the emergency room can have deadly consequences and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be this hard. You know, you know, you have a life-threatening condition or your child does, and you go to the emergency room seeking help. And that is the last place that you should have to fight for that help. So I hope that people listening who can do something about it you know, really take this message to heart. I, I do too. And I, and also, I mean, the emergency room is really important because that's kind of the last line of defense, but there we've ran into so many doctors and so many, you know, healthcare people who just don't believe, um, who just think, you know, that I'm overreacting or that this condition isn't as bad as we say it is. And I hope that all of those people, all those people who ever doubt, whoever, you know, question, I hope that somehow it can get through to them that this is real, that there's other conditions that are just as bad. And like, you know, like the whole motto is just because it sounds like a horse doesn't mean it's a horse, you know, it could be a zebra. Could be a zebra. Thank you so much, Charlene. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening in today. And thank you so much, Charlene, for sharing Luke's story with vets on the show.
I know that these episodes can be difficult to listen to, especially for those with vets and their family members and friends. Please practice self-care and get support from your support system if you need it. I'm sending big hugs and all the love to my community and to Charlene and her family. On our next episode on June 11th, we will talk to Dr. Shane Morris, a pediatric cardiologist who cares for many people with VEDS and is an incredible advocate for our community. Don't forget to subscribe to the Staying Connected podcast on your podcast player so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like this show, I hope you will consider sharing it with your friends on social media to help us raise awareness of VEDS together. You can also support the production of this podcast by joining my Patreon at patreon.com translucent1. Thank you so much, and I will see you soon.